0: I have a love-hate relationship with God's law, and so do you. Doesn't it feel good to get that out in the open here this morning? That we have a love-hate relationship with God's law, with the Ten Commandments. I think about this whenever I am... Uh, preparing, you know, if if I'm preparing a Bible study or teaching a confirmation class on the Ten Commandments um, or if I'm reading through the catechism or preparing for this sermon here today, I think about how I have a complicated relationship with God's law, with what his will is uh, for us as his people. There are some aspects of his law that I love and we'll talk about some of those things. There are some pretty obvious benefits to following the law of God. But oh boy, there are some things I don't like about it at all. I would go so far as to say I hate them. There are some aspects of God's law that I hate, as in you know, just pretty much whenever um, naturally, whenever anyone tells me what I should or should not do, I'm going to react negatively to that. And maybe you're the same way. Yeah, yeah, you are. You are the same way. I, I've gotten to know you guys a little bit over the years now. Um, but we have a love-hate relationship with God's law because we are saints and sinners at the same time, okay? We talked months ago, we were talking about this a lot, we were calling ourselves sinful saints, right? This is the reality on this side of heaven that we are, we are saints, right? We are God's holy ones, forgiven, but we are also sinners. And it is that daily uh, conflict inside of us that leads to a very complex relationship with the law of God. Uh, Luther's small catechism teaches that God's law has three different functions, three different uses. Um, And unsurprisingly so far, we're going to find out that uh, I I really love all three of the uses of God's law. And also, in the next breath, I can talk about how much I hate them. So we're going to explore those. Um, The first one is called the curb. Why, when you're, imagine that you're driving down the road in your car, okay? Why is there a curb on the side of the road? Tell me, why is there a curb? Keeps you on the road, right? What would be the alternative? What other option would you have from the, other than driving on the road? Go on off the road, right? The, the sidewalk, you might run into a building or something, you might damp, do a lot of damage to people or property happens sometimes. Good thing that we have a curb. Um, God's law functions as a curb. Generally speaking, it, uh, it helps prevent, you know, just like wild outbreaks of sin um, or, or just law breaking in general from happening. And so sometimes um, people will You know, people will actually the the power that the, the the law has as a curb really is tied to a punishment, isn't it? If you think about it, like why do I refrain from doing certain things? Well, it's probably because I'm afraid of having a consequence, having a punishment. And if that, at a very basic level, keeps people from doing the wrong things, well, I guess that's good. Going back to the car. Um, one of the you know, reasons why I don't speed too much is because I don't want to have to pay a fine. I don't want to lose my driver's license, right? Um, so that, that keeps us in check. God's law functions as a curb. And so um, that's one of the ways, one of the reasons why I love the law of God is because, because there's a curb to you know, um, a lot of bad behavior I can leave my house and feel somewhat safe, right? The law as a curb generally kind of keeps us functioning somewhat sanely as a society. I can feel like I can go somewhere and people aren't just going to attack me. You know, at least the fear of consequences might keep that in check. They're not just gonna like take my property from me. This is a good thing. I I love the law of God when it functions as a curb in this way. But as a sinner, I hate it. I hate the law of God trying to curb my behavior in any way. Why does why do why does anyone get to tell me what I can and cannot do? Why can't I drive as fast as I want to? Why this time of year? Why do I have to pay taxes? Right? Um, why can't I? You know, if, some, if my neighbor leaves something outside, you know, why can't I just go and take it if I want it? You know, he might never know, maybe he doesn't have a camera out there or something. Why can't I just do whatever I want to with my body if it's not gonna directly affect someone else in a negative way, why? So I react sinfully and kinda, you know, rebel against the law and I hate it. God's law also, in addition to functioning as a curb, it also functions as a mirror. That's the second use we say, it's a mirror. So you look at it and it, actually, it shows you what you look like. Okay? Uh, do you guys ever, this happens to me sometimes, uh, you're getting ready in the morning and maybe you're in a hurry and you just, you haven't had a chance to really give yourself a good look in the mirror. That ever happened to you before? You kind of just, you just get out the door, ah, hopefully I'm looking okay today. And then at some point you catch a glimpse of yourself in a reflection, maybe in a mirror, and you think, oh, hello's new zit that I didn't know I had, right? This is still, I was told this would stop. Um, Once I got into my 30s, they lied to me. Um, Still, I'm greeted by zits in the mirror sometimes. Um, Or then you might be checking your teeth. Oh, how long have I had that stuck in my teeth? No one's told me, right? Does this happen to any of you? Make me feel better, real quick. Just, yeah. You finally, you get get a glimpse of, oh, so that's what I'm, really looking like today. That's, what, that's how God's law functions as a mirror sometimes. It reveals to us uh, the truth. When it comes to God's law functioning as a mirror, there is, uh, there is a way in which I love it. I love when God's law can be a mirror because it gives me the potential at least to feel really good about myself because I can look at the list of what God has commanded, and I can, I'll at least fool myself for a little while, that maybe, maybe I'm going to measure up pretty well. Maybe I'm going to, ooh, I'm actually, yeah, looking pretty good there today, you know, and at least compared to the rest of people, right? At least most people. I'm looking better than most people. Um, I'm doing better according to God's so law. I'm measuring up, and then maybe that makes me feel pretty good. Oh, I'm, better than most of those you know, bad sinners. I can feel morally superior. So maybe I look forward to perusing the law of God for the potential of feeling good, and maybe I love it in that way. But at other times, I sure do hate it. Sure do hate that mirror. Because eventually, I'm gonna catch that clear reflection of what I look like, and my delusion is going to be shattered because the mirror of God's law shows me that I am not doing very well at following the law of God. And it, it, it uh, does not allow me to feel morally superior to anyone because if you break even one part of God's law, you've broken the whole thing, and now we're all on a level playing field. We all kind of look the same. We're all poor, miserable sinners. And so there's no joy in trying to measure yourself up against that standard, the law of God. And so how do I react then when, I, when I'm hating the mirror? I react in hatred toward God and his law. I hate his impossible standards. I hate the way it makes me feel, and I hate him too. By nature, I am I'm spiritually, I am an enemy of God. I rebel against him. I don't like him. I hate him. That's what the law of God drives us to at some point. Now, even though we respond to God's law with hate, Amazingly, God responds to us with love. He, his intention is not for that mirror to drive us uh, to despair you know, in, in some type of a, a final way. It's meant to make us despair uh, temporarily. It's meant to show us the reality of our situation. It's meant to show us the, the desperate need that we have for God. It reveals, it shows us our sin, but it's supposed to direct us to look elsewhere, to look at the gospel, the message of good news that shows our savior, and that is Jesus Christ. So in the depth of our despair, God reveals Jesus to us. And Jesus comes and he says, I have kept the law perfectly. I have righteousness and I wanna make a trade with you. Here, take my righteousness, it's yours now, uh, and let, give me all your sin. And that's, that's what, as we walk through the season of Lent, we're looking toward the cross, that's where Jesus took all of our sin. He suffered and bled and died, and, and our sin is gone now. The shame and the guilt is gone. And so now, God holds the mirror up again, and we really do, we see ourselves, we see a saint God's holy, beloved, forgiven child looking back at us, at us, and it is amazing now. He's flipped everything around. He has restored the relationship that sin has broken. He has restored that relationship of love that he has for us. And so that's what God um, uses his law for then. I said there were three functions. There's, there was the curb and the mirror. Uh, the third one is called the guide. So you might, I, I, I've thought this before. As a Christian, as a forgiven child of God, I don't think I need the law anymore. I don't. I'm all grown up now. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. Well, the guide. So that in that way, I still, I'm a saint and a sinner, right? I still kind of rebel against the guide even. But I love it because now the Holy Spirit has actually. Um, given me and he's given you too a, a love and, and a delight in the law of God because this this is you know God knows better than us right God is showing he's revealing how we are to live in his family and so we love the way that he guides us he doesn't just say okay you're forgiven good luck with the rest of your life no he takes you by the hand and he leads you day by day and he deepens our relationship with him the first three commandments, uh, they deal with our relationship with God. The, the next seven are the relationship that we have with, with each other, right, with our, as our neighbor. But God uses these first three commandments to deepen and strengthen that loving relationship that he has um, restored and that he has established with us. And so we're going to look at, you know, how does he do that exactly? How does he use these commandments? And if you've already read them, or if you're about to read them in the Catechism, you know, it's just some good stuff to reflect upon. How does God grow that relationship? The first commandment God uses to teach us to depend on him for everything. Yeah, literally everything. We're not gonna talk so much about uh, material blessings here. There's other parts of the Catechism that we're gonna talk on that, about that more. Uh, but I want to talk more today about like some of the spiritual blessings that God gives to us. Uh, those are important in this life too. But they're also, you know, it's like, man, I'm glad God has taken care of my eternity. Uh, but then we think about this life, and um, I want to talk some about like more abstract, more like kind of squishier, basic human needs that we have that God that that, that God gives to us, and, and those would be. Um, those would be, well, I'll, I'll quote the, the catechism here. It explores this a little bit. Um, it says, in the section on the first commandment, it says, all people everywhere are constantly looking for happiness, identity, security, and meaning in life. All people everywhere. Are you guys looking for those things? Don't be bashful. Yeah, we, we all are. It's kind of exhausting, isn't it, to look for those things? <laughs> all people everywhere are constantly looking for happiness, identity, security, and meaning. Those are basic needs, and those are foundational to, to who we are. We, we need to have those things, just like we need clothing and shelter and food, and just like we need to know our sins are forgiven and eternal life is prepared for us. So where do we look for these things? That, that's the important thing as we reflect on the first commandment. Where do we look for these things? Or to whom do we look? The catechism gives us a long list of things uh, that promise to maybe supply some of these basic needs. Um, so here, here are some things. Maybe, maybe you'll see you know, your, some of your own um, you know, gods even, whatever you're looking to for these things is really a god. Um, we might look to our own achievements or our intelligence. Maybe advances in technology or medicine. You know, these are important things, right? Things that we are blessed to have. Might be my own goodness or religious devotion, right? Yeah, I can look to Jesus, I can depend on Jesus, but I might depend on myself just a little bit too. Money and possessions, yeah, they they give a fair amount of comfort, you know, security in this life. Pleasures like food, drink, sex, sports, entertainment. Uh, catechism even talks about family and friends maybe being a source uh, for these things, right? None of these things are none of these things are bad. Well, you know, everything is a, is a good gift, right? It just matters how we use it. We can misuse even the best things that 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 God can give us. I like to sometimes kind of just take an inventory, take a stock of my life, and think, you know. Um, where am I looking for these things? Where am I looking for happiness and meaning and identity and security? Uh, and then kind of look, you know, kind of go down the list. And I, I, some of these things pop, you know, for me. Like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, your eye is straying away from God, ultimately. And it kind of convicts me. It's kind of a good practice to think, okay, where, what am I relying on in the place of God am I ultimately depending on God or or is it really something else? Has something else supplanted God's seat in my life? All of these things, they're, they're they're gonna leave you, they're gonna abandon you, they're gonna fall flat at the worst possible moment. I have experienced that already. Probably all of you have too. If you depend on God for all things, you will never be put to shame. God will never leave you or forsake you. He is the rock, he is the foundation he will supply you with everything including happiness meaning identity security so as you reflect upon this you know what does it mean to fear love and trust in god above all things think about that and just redirect back to god regularly in your life the second commandment in this one god teaches us how to use the blessing of his name Uh, And again, his his name is a a blessing. Uh, He puts his name upon us, right? We are called Christians. We bear the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, wherever we go. Um, But there are also ways that we can can misuse the name of God. It's amazing, though, just to think about how God gives us his name. Uh, He introduces himself in a very personal way to us. We see that throughout the scriptures. We see uh, the, the most uh, the, the, the most impactful way, right? The most powerful way that he reveals himself is in the person of Jesus Christ, you know, putting on our own flesh, entering our world. Um, God, God could keep us more, you know, at, at arm's length. He wouldn't have to tell us his name. He wouldn't have to, you know, deign to, to tell us who he is, what he's like. It's something about when you learn someone's name, kind of, you know, progresses the relationship, right? Deepens it. Um, I've had some experiences before where, maybe you guys have too, where you're talking to somebody for quite a while. It might be like at church or at a party or, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to pass the time when my kids are playing on the playground, talking to other parents, you know. You're talking and then um, then you leave, you go separate ways, and you realize, I didn't even get that person's name. We didn't even exchange name, you know. Um, didn't exchange contact information. That could have been my best friend in all the world and I have no way to track them down, right? It's like, but... God doesn't do that. God, God comes to us and God tells you his name, right? He, he wants to be in that personal relationship with you. Uh, and even more than that, he gives, you, uh, he gives you his contact information. In the second commandment, he talks about he's, he is uh, commanding us to call upon him in, in every trouble, to pray, praise, and give thanks. He's saying, here's my name, and here's where you can reach me. It's my personal number, 24 seven, reach out to me. This is how we're gonna grow our relationship. Pray to me, call call out to me. Tell me what you're thankful for, tell me what you need. It's an amazing thing, that we can use the blessing of his name. Now there's ways we misuse it, right? The way, when, when we misrepresent him as Christians, maybe drag his name through the mud sometimes. Yeah, we've done that before. Also, when we use his name only sparingly or only very rarely, only when we need something and he's kind of like our our genie, you know, like, oh, I can say the name of God and it's like a magical incantation or like a lucky charm occasionally when I need it, right? That's not not how the second commandment portrays this relationship with God. He is inviting us. No, it's not even an invitation. That's too soft. It's actually a command, right? It's so critical. It's so important that he commands us he says, I am waiting to hear from you. Call me up, pray to me. Use my name the way that, for the reason that I have given it to you. So think about that this week. You know, if you're, if you're not in a habit of calling upon the name of the Lord regularly, try, take 60 seconds each day and tell him something that you need and some, tell him something that you're thankful for. Give him some praise and thanks. Call upon him in every trouble. And that relationship will, de- will deepen and grow. The third commandment, God teaches us how he wants to spend time with us. This is how relationships grow too, right? Just hanging out, spending quality time together. And, and God, God tells us, he tells us exactly like where he wants to meet us and what he wants to do, what activities he wants to do with us. And God promises that he will be, he will be wherever his word is wherever his word is, whether you're reading it privately at home by yourself or with your family, or whether you've gathered with your other members of the family here in in God's family, God is there. God is here. He has promised that. So the third commandment becomes about this relationship, you know, in, in worship and just being around his word. And it's a beautiful thing. As he spends time with us, as we gather, as we you know, have meals together, as he feeds us his body and blood in his supper, as he reminds us of, of that relationship, we remember our baptism as we hear his word. It's just like he's in the same room with us, speaking to us and deepening that relationship. So whenever we, to quote the catechism, you know, whenever we hold his word sacred and gladly hear and learn it, we are taking him up on that, and remember, not an invitation, but, but an actual command, because it's so important to grow in our relationship by spending time with God. Now we're we're going to get into here real soon. Actually, if you're if you're following our reading plan uh, today, starts the fourth commandment. The reading, and and really, it's it is not too late. You're thinking, like, oh, I've already missed the first three days. Who cares? Either try to catch up, or just dive in right with the fourth commandment still have a a few catechisms left, some of the reading plans, Um, but we're going to get into now our relationship with our neighbor, and let me tell you, if you don't have a relationship with God, you have no prayer of having a good relationship with your neighbor, no chance. If if I didn't didn't love God, I would not be very loving to you people, okay, And and same way, conversely, the same way, okay? So when, we, when we're, we're deepening that relationship with God, that, that's, that's great in this relationship, the vertical relationship, but it's even more for, for the sake of um, loving those around us in our family, our coworkers, our classmates. So we're going we're gonna to have that in mind, how the two relationships work together. And I pray that God is going to bless this time here uh, during the season of Lent. Uh, teaching us from the catechism, teaching us the simple truths from his word, that he will bear fruit in us and that he will continue to grow us in that relationship of fearing and loving and trusting in him above all things, so that'll just flow right through the rest of our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for restoring that relationship with you. Thank you for your law for revealing that will for our lives. Lord, we pray that you will help us to increase in that loving relationship. Forgive us when we have the hating relationship. Restore us again and again. But help us to grow in that relationship of love that you've established through Jesus Christ with us. In his name we pray, amen.